The following audio is from All Saints Church. For more information about the church, please visit our website at allsaintsgb.org. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you, the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, in brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance in the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. Though you know them and are established in the truth that you have, I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort, so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. God, we thank you for your word. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this opportunity. Um, thank you for this ability to come and speak. Um, and Lord, I ask that uh, my words would be honoring to you. Um, my words would be clear and would be easy to be understood. Um, and Lord, we pray for those in here, um, Lord, that they would be able to hear your word that you, they would be able to hear what you have for this community, um, and Lord, that your, your glory would shine. And pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, well, first off, I um, just want to thank you guys for having me here. Um, my name is Jack. I work up at Lake Langer Bible Camp. Um, been there for seven years, like was said. I've got three kids um, and a wife. Um, and uh, what I do at Lake Langer, in a nutshell, is um, I help manage our program department, I do a lot of recruiting, so I recruit our volunteers, our summer staff, our interns, um, and I help run those programs. So I run our intern program, I run our volunteer ministry, um, and I help plan and imp implement retreats. Um, so we're going to be speaking this morning. When I was talking to Pastor Chad, he, he mentioned that you guys are taking a small chunk on uh, community, um, and I wanted to speak on this idea of a gospel-fluent community. Um, this is a longer chunk of scripture, um, and we uh, will not have the time to fletch out every single uh, passage, every verse in here. Uh, we'd, we'd be here for a long time. Um, but I wanted to share some things that I found interesting in here, so kind of we're going to be working through the passage, um, and then towards the end, once we get a good grasp on what is being presented here, uh, we're going to talk about what that means in the area of being fluent in the gospel as a community. Um, so the first three verses, I think just the, the big note context-wise when it comes to um, Second Peter, um, it was written to a bunch of small churches. 
So it wasn't a letter written to just one church. It was Peter writing a letter to a bunch of tiny churches that were exiles in the land. They were in Asia, um, and they were going through heavy persecution. They were being ruled by a government that wasn't their original government. Um, so the, the people already looked at them as kind of foreigners, um, and they were um, not the do- dominant religion. And so they were regularly being persecuted. Um, you might show up to church one day, and your brother might not be here anymore. Um, and it wasn't a good situation for them, and they were potentially discouraged, um, and Peter is writing them a letter. And he starts off really in the first three verses, and we're not going to spend too much time on the first three verses, but he starts off and says, hey, we've obtained a faith of equal standing, um, which I think is just valuable. This small Christian, a nobody in this little church gets a letter from the apostle Peter, and Peter starts off right away by saying, our faith in God's eyes is of equal standing. Um, I'm not better than you. You are not better than me in God's eyes. And then he goes right into verse 3, which is kind of like, in my opinion, what he re-says over and over and over again throughout the rest of the passage. In verse 3 it says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory. And so Peter starts off this, this letter by basically saying, you have everything you need. Little church, that is struggling, you have everything you need. You don't need anything more. And so he says right away, all things that pertain to your life and your godliness is found in the knowledge of him, the knowledge of Christ. All things, everything that you need is found in him. Which is saying in a different phrase, if you leave Christ, if you, if you seek your identity in something else, if you seek your success in something else, if you seek your purpose in something else, if you seek advice from something other than counsel in Christ, you have left all things that pertain to life and godliness. You are, you are walking down a path that is maybe momentary and joyful for a little while, but is not going to help. And it's possible that in this church there were people that were wondering, is this worth it? Um, and Peter's coming in and saying, you have everything you need. And, and to start the message, I would say it's worth you thinking through this question. Do you believe that? <laughs> like, you sitting in this room, do you believe that everything you need for your life and for godliness is found in, in Christ? Or would you say that Jesus is part of your life and you seek other things other ways of purpose, other ways of identity. Um, and the, the goal is to talk through gospel fluent community, but to actually have a community that is pursuing Jesus together, it requires people in the community to believe that all things that pertain to life and godliness are found in Christ. Um, and so that's kind of what Paul, or Peter says over and over and over again through the next few verses. Um, so we're going to now jump down to verse 5. And it says, for this very reason. So he just said all things pertaining to life and godliness are found in Christ. That's paraphrased, uh, are found in Christ. Um, He just said that we have this great hope, this great inheritance. Like there is a hope that is coming. And, And then he goes, for this very reason, for these things, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, in virtue with knowledge. And knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. Big list. 
And I, when I was uh, in college, I went to school at UWGB. When I was in college, I remember reading this passage and thinking to myself, sweet, a list. All right. And I was trying to grow my faith. I was younger. I came to the Lord when I was 16. And I was like, all right, I've got some things to work on. And I, I pulled this list out and started thinking through, okay, um, faith, supplement my faith with faith. Um, okay, check, got that. Um, virtue, I'm pretty moral, like I've got good morals, all right, check. Um, knowledge, okay, and so I, I went about my day and tried to be as knowledgeable as I possibly could. So I'd read my Bible every day, I'd go to Bible studies, and I'd be the guy answering all the questions. Um, and, and if people were coming to me for advice, I'm like, okay, I'm probably doing pretty well in knowledge. Um, and days where like maybe I would interact with people who knew more than me, and I didn't have the answers, they'd be like, ah, oh, I'm not doing so well in knowledge. Um, and then we'd kind of go through the list. Brotherly affection, okay. Um, people like me. Um, I'm pretty nice. The days that I felt really good in doing brotherly affection, days that I didn't feel really good in doing brotherly affection. Self-control, I read my Bible every day. And, and it was this gauge for me for a while of like, how am I doing in my journey with the Lord? Unfortunately, that is not how this passage is supposed to be interpreted. Uh, the problem is, is I have made it all about me. It's all about me. How am I doing well in my faith? Well, do I know enough about God or do I not know enough about God? I'm actually feeling really well in my faith when I'm around people who aren't as mature as me. And I'm feeling not as good in my faith if I'm around people who are more mature than me. I have, in my opinion, have left all things that pertain to life and godliness. Like, as I, I literally read in verse 3, that all things pertaining to life and godliness are found in Jesus. And then two verses later, I read this list of things and made it about me. And we do that all the time. I started to interpret my faith based on how I thought I was doing, not based on who Jesus was and what he was trying to pursue me towards. And so as I studied and tried to figure out, well, then what, how do you interpret this passage? How do you pursue supplementing your faith with these things. Um, I found Colossians chapter 3. Uh, we're not going to read the whole thing, um, but Colossians chapter 3 goes through this list of things that we are to put on. And it lists out, put on compassionate heart, put on, and it, and it tells us to put on these things. And if you put both these lists next to each other, they have very, very similar things that you're either to supplement your faith with or to put on. In Colossians chapter 3 ends with put on love, which binds everything together. And 2 Peter ends with the supplementing of your faith, of supplement your faith with love at the end. And if you do just a little bit of research with an app called Blue Letter Bible, um, it, it points out that the love in both verses, both passages, is agape love, which is the highest form of love and is a describing word for God. And so we've got these two lists, and basically both these lists are just characteristics of Jesus, characteristics of God. And so Colossians is basically saying, put on love, and you will be more compassionate. Put on love, and you will be a better brother. Put on love, and you will have more knowledge of Jesus, because you are putting on Jesus. And so this, this list of things that we are to supplement our faith with is basically saying, like, Pursue Christ. Pursue Christ and you will be more knowledgeable about him. Pursue Christ and you will be a better brother. 
pursue Christ and you will be more self-controlled. Um, my wife's name is Nikki, and if I pursue Nikki, I grow in knowledge of Nikki. If, I, if there were books about Nikki, maybe I could write one. Um, if I read a book about Nikki and make it that be my only pursuit, I'm not going to know Nikki that well. And so this, Paul is basically just saying again, supplement your faith. Like, pursue Jesus and he will supplement your faith with knowledge. And he will supplement your faith with compassion. And so this idea of making it about ourselves takes us down this poor road where all that the, Peter is trying to say once again is pursue Christ and you will become these things. Like you can't pursue Christ and not um, be self-controlled. You can't pursue Christ and not have steadfastness and not have godliness. Like those are characteristics of growing and being sanctified in Jesus. And the passage continues. And in verse 8, he says, For if these qualities are yours, so these things that we are to supplement our faith with, are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. And so Peter's saying, if you're, if you're pursuing Jesus, these qualities will increase, and you'll be effective. You will, you will pursue the Lord, you will grow. But if these qualities aren't increasing, you're, you're blind. You've forgotten that you've been cleansed from your former sins. You've become blind. And so, yeah, 19-year-old Jack was blind in college. I was walking around pursuing Jesus under the umbrella of pursuing myself. And I was not being fruitful. Maybe I was being fruitful towards the worship of myself um, and the desire of what I was going to receive from that. Um, but I had forgotten that everything needed for life and godliness was found in Jesus and I was blinded by that, and I was pursuing something other than that in the name of Jesus. And I think we do this all the time. Like, I think we become blind very, very easily in our lives. Um, for example, God has given us many, many ways to pursue him. Our Bible could be one of those ways. He has given us scripture to magnify his name. He has given us scripture as a channel to him. And sometimes we use scripture as a pure resource for knowledge. And we tunnel vision in on trying to either check a box or we tunnel vision in our, on trying to feel justified in our faith. I've read my Bible. I could usually, if I'm at camp, I can walk around camp and ask kids how their walk with the Lord has been. And I would say 90-ish, 90 95% of the time, the answer is very dependent on if they've read their Bible or not which is good, like we should encourage Bible reading. Um, but if Bible reading is your indication of if you love Jesus or don't love Jesus, potentially you've become blind, having forgotten that you've been cleansed from your former sins, that this Bible reading is to pursue Jesus, not to feel righteous. And so the other thing that is just worth noting is we don't want to be blind in our faith. Like we want to pursue Jesus in all that we do. Um, John 15, verse 5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I am him, that is it who bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. 
So again, just another passage that's putting forth this idea of like, if you, if you disconnect from me, if you make this thing about yourself, you're going to do nothing. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13 says, man, you could do all kinds of amazing things in this world, but if you don't have love, you have done absolutely nothing. And so we want to be, I hope that you guys want to be a church that is all about this pursuit of Jesus there's all about this desire to, to be a part of what Jesus is doing and to, to give your life to him so that you are fruitful and effective. And kind of concluding this, this chunk of Second Peter so that we can talk about community, um, Paul, or Peter, thinks that this is important. In verse 12, he says, Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. Though you know them, and are established in the truth you have, I think it right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon as the Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me, and I'll make every effort so that after my departure you may be, you may be able at any time to recall these things. So Peter's about to die. He's writing this letter, and he knows the writing's on the wall. God has made clear to him that he's going to be dying soon, and he sends this letter out. And in a letter that has, I think, like, four or five chapters that we've attached to it. One of them is completely on this one. And Peter makes it clear. He says, you already know this. Like it says that they're established in this truth. And Peter thinks it's right to remind them of the same thing they already know. And he's about to die, and this is what he chooses to write. And so I think it's very, it's very possible that you're sitting in this room and you're like, yep, know these things. And just like Peter, I think it's right that you're reminded of these things. Like literally soon, Peter goes and gets hung upside down. And he's dead. And, and, and the church could have been like, what? He's dead? And he chose to write me something that I already knew? What about, what's the new stuff, Peter? Give me the new details. And Peter's like, no, what you need is a reminder that everything needed for life and godliness is found in Christ. What you need is a reminder that everything you need, you already have access to. I'm just a guy that's writing you something. And, and you see this kind of example all throughout the letters. That the letters are written to Christians, and they start out with a reminder of what the good news is. And then they flow from there of what you do with the good news. In Romans Chapter 1, Paul writes to the Roman church, and he starts off by saying, your faith is being proclaimed among all the world. And then he continues and says, I want to come to you. Boy, do I want to come to you so that I can encourage you and so that you can encourage me. And so Paul is longing to come to this community of people who love the Lord, and he knows if, they, if he goes there, that he has the ability to encourage them in the gospel, and they are going to encourage him in the gospel. And like, I don't know you guys. I know some of you. Um, some of you might be sitting here being like, "Dude, I have been following the Lord for a really long time. Like, I don't need someone to come and encourage me in the gospel." And I'll say, if the Apostle Paul needed it, then you need it. And the Apostle Paul comes and he goes, and, and then he explains what he wants to do. He says, "I want to reap a harvest." among you, the church that's being proclaimed amongst the whole world, and among those who don't know the Lord. And so Paul's coming and he's saying, I want to preach the gospel to you and to 
the unbelievers. And, and Paul wants to preach a gospel to the Christians for a harvest of maturity. And he wants to preach the gospel to the unbelievers for a harvest of salvation. And so if you're in this room, you need the gospel. Whether you are a believer or an unbeliever, you need to be reminded of the good news of Jesus because we drift from the gospel. Like our minds drift away from that and we slowly blind ourselves. We make worshiping God about what worship songs we're going to sing. We make worshiping God about who's praying and how they're praying. We make worshiping God about what book of the Bible we're reading this week. Like I'm currently reading through the book of the Bible chronologically and very often I make my worship of God about, oh, I'm in the Old Testament again and man, Lamentations is just very intriguing, you know? Um, and so we blind ourselves and we need people to come in and, and encourage us in our faith. And so the gospel fluency that we're talking about, one starts with you. Starts with you preaching the gospel to yourself. You every day reminding yourself of the good news of Jesus. Every day repenting and believing. Um, there's an incredible book called A Gospel Primer, um, if any of you have ever read it. Um, and the book is all about how to preach the gospel yourself. How to share the good news to yourself and remind yourself how to fix your eyes on Jesus. And it starts off with 31 implications of the gospel in your life. And so one of the implications that a gospel pringer puts out is the armor of God. And so the armor of God in Scripture says, put on, it says, put on the armor of God, which indicates that if you don't actually put it on, you don't have it on. Like, yes, you have salvation if you're a believer in Jesus, but if you don't every day choose to put on the breastplate of righteousness, you don't have it on. Like, I can't walk out of my house without a shirt on and just assume that, well, I was wearing one yesterday, and so I must be wearing one today. And so the, the writer is basically saying, this is how you, like, every day you are putting on the truths of the gospel. And every part of the armor is just a synonym for the, for the good news. And so the breastplate of righteousness, you put it on over your heart, and it protects your heart. And righteousness is literally this idea of Jesus lived a perfect life, he died on the cross for you, and he imputed his right standing before the Father to you. So that when God looks upon you, you are fully loved, fully accepted, and fully approved. And so you put this breastplate of righteousness on, and it protects your heart. And so every day you remind yourself that you are fully loved, fully accepted, fully approved, and you don't need it from other people. And that frees you to live your life making much of Jesus instead of living your life making much of yourself because you don't need to do that anymore. And so preaching the gospel to yourself, what that looks like is every day as you walk around and you feel as if you were trying to get approval from other people, you repent of that and you put on the breastplate of righteousness, you remind yourself of Jesus, and you believe again. And it's this constant practice of repentance and faith. And when I say the gospel, yes, I am meaning the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, but I'm also meaning the gospel is just the good news of Jesus, which is the gospel is throughout the whole scriptures. From Genesis to Revelation is the good news of Jesus. 
And so you should be able to, even when you read your Bible, preach the gospel to yourself. If I'm in Lamentations, I should be able to read Lamentations and be encouraged in my Savior and not walk away thinking, here's a hundred things that I need to do. Walking away saying, here's a hundred things I need to do is blindness. Walking away being encouraged in my Savior is, is pursuing Jesus. And I'm coming to a conclusion. Um, but so it's important that each and every one of you preaches the gospel to yourselves, that you are a person in this church that goes, I am going to fix my eyes on Jesus every day, and then I'm going to interact with the people of the church. Um, and then it's important that you then go and you preach the gospel to each other. And there's a book called Gospel Fluency, super good book, um, and I'm going to read an excerpt from it to you really quickly. The religious leader, leaders of Jesus' day were the greatest Bible scholars and the most religious prayers, prayers Yet they completely missed Jesus. At one point, Jesus said to them, You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. They loved the scriptures that pointed to Jesus, but didn't love and depend on Jesus. They missed the entire point. I have met too many people who love their Bibles, yet have no genuine relationship with Jesus Christ. They, really, they don't really know him. They don't really love him. They don't really worship him. Instead, they worship their Bibles. They are not growing in maturity because they are not growing up into Jesus. Bible studies are great. Prayer is wonderful. Applying, applying wisdom for financial planning, relationship building, and every other area of life is important and necessary. However, if we fail to give one another Jesus, we lead one another away from him. We might grow in Bible knowledge, but not in love for Jesus. We, we might become the most religious prayer of all and yet be talking to the wrong God. We could have our finances in order while our hearts are completely out of order because we are doing it all for the wrong reasons. We might be great at communication and conflict resolution, but if we are not reconciled with God through Jesus Christ, then our relationships will be shallow and temporary in nature. Think of it this way. If we were, if we were to help one another grow into Christ in every way, we need to learn how to speak the truth of Christ into every aspect of life. And so this book was written by a guy named Jeff, and he was... He got a degree in Spanish, um, and he felt like he was really fluent in how to speak Spanish. And then he moved to Spain, and he found out really quickly that he wasn't fluent in Spanish. He just, like, knew how to speak Spanish. And he said that he would, like, hear people speak Spanish to him, and he'd have to translate from Spanish to English in his brain, figure out what they were saying, and then translate, figure out what he wanted to say to Spanish, and then speak it. And he was exhausted every day. Every day he was just wiped and then one day, he just started thinking in Spanish, and he started communicating in Spanish, and he started dreaming in Spanish, and he said he would have phone conversations with his parents, and his parents would be like, Jeff, you're not speaking in English, and he'd be like, oh, sorry, because it just became his tongue. And the book is all about this idea of when you were born, you were born in the flesh. You spoke the language of the flesh, and then one day, God ransomed you, and you were given a new language. You were given the language of hope instead of condemnation, joy instead of guilt. And, and, and you now can speak this new language, but we have to learn how to do it. And so the desire is that your church can become a church that can be fluent in speaking the gospel to each other. That you are, you are one, speaking it to yourself, and then you are going and you are encouraging others in Christ. You were looking around and you were trying to find ways to point people's eyes to Jesus. 
And I'm not saying it in a way where you come up alongside someone who's grieving and you're just like, Jesus, you should, you should love Jesus more. Um, I'm meaning it by the fact of like at camp, for example, we have kids who sometimes think they're going to win a tournament and they don't. And then they're really sad by it. And we'll encourage our counselors to, yes, go and like have emotions with them and like have compassion with them, but it's worth also trying to figure out why their identity is in success instead of in Christ. So it's worth, in that conversation, one, being a human being with them in their sadness, but two, not letting it just end there. What makes us any different than any other camp if we end there? And so we are now trying to see how do we have conversations with a kid who finds all their identity in succeeding in trying to say how do we find our identity in Jesus a way better source for our identity. And so what would that look like at your church if you were pursuing others in such a way that wanted their gaze to be on Christ? What would it look like if you as a church were not just encouraging people in themselves, but encouraging people in, in Christ who is much better than they are in the first place? And so a, a strong community means that it is people that are, one, pursuing Jesus, and two, that are saying to other people, don't be blind People that are walking around saying, I am going to actively pursue taking blinders off of people's eyes and saying, I am going to encourage them to pursue Jesus. And a, a phrase my pastor always says is, eyes fixed on self will only ever lead to despair, but eyes fixed on Christ will only ever lead to hope. And I'll conclude with a quick story. When I was uh, without children, <laughs> I felt like I was just the big deal. Like, I thought that I had everything together, that I, like, I, I was married, I was doing well financially, I was in ministry, I had all the answers, had a lot of knowledge, and then Isabel was born. And Isabel had colic, and she cried all the time, all the time. Um, and I, I would just, I just lost it. And I would just, she would cry all night long, and I would have fits of rage at night. So I'd put Isabel down in her room, and I would leave the room, and I would yell, and I'd chuck things, and I'd just get so angry at night. And then in the morning, I would, Isabel would be crying on the floor, and I'd be, like, eating breakfast, and I'd feel horrible. Like, what is wrong with you, Jack? Like, get your act together. Like, could you just, would you just figure it out? And then my wife would come out of the room, and, and like, in a normal idea, she would walk out and say, dude, you got to stop. And to the point, like, I was so bad that to the point where we considered not having any more children because Nikki was nervous about what I could do at night. Um, and I felt immense guilt. Like, I'm working in ministry and I can't even keep my cool on, in front of a child that I'm supposed to love. Um, and I would feel justified in it at night. I'd be like, I work in ministry, Lord. <laughs> why don't you let me sleep? I got to get up in the morning and interact with kids. Like, why won't you just let my kids sleep? And I would get so angry. And it was just constant cycle of shame, guilt, making promises that I couldn't fulfill, and then failing in the promises that I made because I couldn't do it over and over and over again. And Nikki and I were driving home from church one day, and our church was reading Gospel Fluency. And she looked at me on the drive home and she said, what would it look like if I preached the gospel to you? Like if I shared the good news of Jesus to you? 
And what would it look like if you shared the good news of Jesus to yourself? And we had a long conversation, and it changed everything. I would sit at, sit at night while holding Isabel, and she'd be doing the same thing, like the Lord didn't take the crying away. And, and it went on for like eight months, and I would walk around, and, and I would say, I deserve death. I deserve death. I deserve death, and what I have is so much better, Lord. Would you help me to remind myself of this goodness? Like, that is, that is eyes fixed on you over all I want is comfort, Lord, and let me sleep. That is eyes fixed on myself, and that's despair. And then there'd be days where I'd do really well, and there'd be other days where I would still mess up, and I'd be feeling guilty in the morning, and Nikki would walk out of the room and be like, hey, Jack, you, you messed up, but I just want to remind you, like, there's forgiveness in Christ, and there's growth in Christ, and it's okay, but let's not live in guilt. Have you, have you asked for forgiveness yet? Okay, then let's just move on, you know? And this, this, there was just a different way that we communicated with each other, and it made a huge difference difference. And so I'd ask yourself as I, as I conclude in prayer is what would it look like for you to share that with yourself? And what would it look like for you to make it your goal to, yes, share your faith with non-believers, but to make it your goal to share your faith with people that already have faith so that you may encourage them. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word and for um, Jesus. Lord, thank you that we have everything we need, that everything we need is found in you. Lord, help, help our lives to reflect you and help our spiritual lives to reflect you. Help our work lives to, to be a pursuit of you and help our church lives to be a pursuit of you. Help like, there not be a, a difference. Um, Lord, help us to make our lives about you as we pursue ourselves in you and as we pursue others in light of you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.